0: back into the gospel of john i want to remind you if you're newer to grace if you have not uh went through our membership class we start the intro to grace which leads to the membership class next sunday afternoon and so i hope that if you've been attending here you're convinced this is your church this is where you're going to attend in the future i hope you will go through the formal membership process you learn a lot about the church what we why we do what we do the ministries that we have and some things you know but it's good to hear from our elders and And from uh, me and the staff, and just hear the kind of things that maybe uh, you're kind of figuring out, but now you can hear for certain. And so I hope you'll join us next week. I think it's at 3.30 in the church office. And I'll send out some emails to some of you who are newer here that aren't members yet. And I I just encourage you to be part. You know, I can't imagine not having a church family to connect with and be part of. And you need one another. We need one another. And so I hope you will do that. And then also I'd like to say uh, thank you to our setup team, who sets up every week and uh, just comes in early in the mornings. You, we take it for granted. We come into an air-conditioned room and sit down on a nice, comfortable seat, but we have guys who get up in the mornings on Sunday and do this for us, and so really appreciate them and the staff. I appreciate our staff doing the teardown on Mondays. We get together, the four of us, and we tear down what you leave, uh, what you don't get on Sunday, like the chairs, we get the rest of the things. And one of the things that we do is we have back behind here, many of you have seen it, a very, very tall ladder that will actually extend to the top of the ceiling to change light bulbs. Although I don't advise you doing that or trying that. It's not really a fun thing or safe thing to do. But we go up to the screens and we will get up on the ladder to do the screens. And so whichever one of us drags the ladder out is the one that usually does that. But when we, when we go up to pull the screen down, we also have to pull the curtains back in tight. And so what oftentimes we do is climb up on this side, the right side, to get the screen and then come back down and go up the left side in order then to push the curtain in. Well, a few years ago I had the bright idea that I could save myself a lot of time and energy by instead of coming down the ladder and going back and back up the ladder, I could just step around the ladder to the other side and then I would be at the top and just pull the curtain back in, right? And I'm here to tell you I didn't fall, okay? But after doing that a few times, Probably a handful, maybe a half dozen times. I I, one day I thought I've I've gotten too familiar with being up high at a high height here. I'm 12 to 15 feet up. You know, if I fall, it's not going to be good for me at all. And this is really careless and, and it's irresponsible, and also you know workers' comp claim right. And so we know how that works. So I thought that's not smart to do. But it's the danger of familiarity. When we get used to something, if you do something all the time, sometimes you just forget about what's involved in it. And that can be for a negative or a positive. And I think about like when I went to Colorado for the first time to ski with the youth group in Texas. Um, man, I'd never been to Colorado before. And if you've been to Colorado, uh, it's, it's just astonishing. It's amazing, the mountains, and especially in the wintertime, the snow all over the mountains. and the first day that I took the lift to the very, very top of the mountain, and I literally just sit down in the snow, and I just, by myself, just stared out over the creation that God had done, and just the amazing snow-capped mountains, and just really just had a little worship service, and praised God for what he created and what he did. I mean, I was in awe of the moment. But I'm sad to say that even by the third day of being there skiing, I'd mostly my surroundings, and all I was focused on was getting down the hill, right? I was skiing. And I'd forgotten the majesty of the creation. And I can't imagine the people who live there or work there all the time, they go to work every day, they clock in, and they forget where they're at. The danger of familiarity. And so today, as we talk about the cross, it's so easy to just be so familiar with the story that we forget how it should inspire us to be in awe of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself as well. Somebody who's around the scripture and the Bible all the time. It's easy just to go through the motions and forget the sacrifice and what Jesus did on our behalf on that cross. They tell us that we tend to disregard the value of something when we have constant access to it or we don't have to work for it. Let me say that again. We disregard the value of something when we have constant access to it or we don't have to work for it. What I want you to think about with your salvation, why we can become too familiar and not in all of this anymore. What what is it about our, we have constant access. In our salvation, we have, through Christ, constant access to God the Father. So at any time, we can pray and talk to God of the universe. We can pick up our Bible, we have them on our phones, we carry them around continually. We are always in touch with scripture. So we have constant access. Most of you come to church nearly every single Sunday. Constant access. So what happens? We tend to disregard the value of something when we have constant access to it. And then also think about your relationship with God from this angle. You don't work for it, right? You don't work for your salvation. By grace you've been saved, through faith. It's a gift of God. And so we've been saved by grace. We're declared righteous, sinless in God's eyes because of Jesus' sacrifice. We get that for free by faith and believing. God loves us unconditionally, as we just sang. So there's nothing we can do to make God love us more or anything we can do to make God love us less. So there's no incentive from a human standpoint to work to earn anything. And so therefore, it's the perfect recipe, so to speak, for being just so familiar that we fall into this dangerous trap and so it doesn't stun us anymore. So today, as we go to the Gospel of John, I want to encourage you to do this because I've been praying extra this week because knowing this was our text, I know that Satan, one, does not like this message. It seems like anytime we talk about the cross, there's something that comes up or something that happens in order to put a, a roadblock in front of people or a distraction that happens. I want you to pray that God will open your eyes fresh and new to the story of his crucifixion today and ask God just to... Revealed to you and and renew the wonder and the passion of the crucifixion. So as we look at John chapter 19, let's pray together and you pray as I pray. Father God, I thank you so much for our salvation. I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for the cross. And God, today as we look at the narrative of the cross and what you went through So we could have this free gift of salvation. God, help us to remember that it definitely was not free for you. It cost you, Jesus Christ, to suffer and and to bleed and be punished and to die so we could be free. And God, I pray you will just remind us of the truth. Help it to soak down deep into our hearts and change the way that we live today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's pick up in the second half of verse 16 because we looked last time at Pilate and how he finally just turned Jesus over to be crucified. And so it says in verse 16 they took Jesus, this would be the Roman guards and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So think about Jesus. We walked with Jesus for these 78 weeks in the Gospel of John, the perfect life that he lived. No one deserved what he's going to get any less, but he received so much on our behalf. Think about that. Think about the perfect life as we've seen Jesus perform miracles, do good things, confront hypocrisy and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He does miracles and healings. All these good things that Jesus did as he walked on this earth, yet. He's taken, and he's mocked, he's beaten, they spit on him, and once a condemned man is handed over to the Roman soldiers for his death, they're free to do whatever they want to with him. It was a a brutal, brutal, humiliating, torturous death, and he did this for us. And think about Jesus. As he was being manhandled and mocked by these soldiers, John tells us, Back in, first, uh, in the first chapter we looked at many, many weeks ago, he was in the world, or can we say he was in his world that he made? The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so here they are taking the one who created the universe, and Jesus allows himself to be manhandled, mocked, spit upon, and taken to the cross. He was perfect, and we killed him we killed the creator of life the creator of the world our rebellion killed him you know it's easy to think about sin as that those big things that destroy our lives or the big things that make us feel bad about ourselves but i want you to think about sin more on the aspect that it's just our rebellious attitude toward god and his authority you see that's what the world doesn't like they do not like God being in control and telling us how to live our lives, right? None of us like that if we really are in the flesh. Look at what Paul said in Romans 1. He said, For although they, meaning those who push God out, they knew God, they know intellectually God exists, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't show any gratitude toward him, but instead they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so... Sin. We embrace sin. We love sin. And so today we need to see that it's our sin that sent Jesus to that cross. It's not just sin of somebody else or out there who's doing really bad things. Our sin sent him to the cross. And maybe you think, well, I'm not really that bad. I haven't really done those those horrible things. I want you to think of sin like like a toxin that's put into a river. It's just permeates everything about our lives, our selfishness. God, I don't need you. I don't need you, God. Let me do this by myself. I don't need you involved in my life, whether consciously or unconsciously, God. I got this. And so we want to live apart from God. And only Jesus can give us a new heart where we replace this self-centeredness that's in us that says, I want to do it my way and replace it with his love. And Jesus' crucifixion makes that possible. God is restoring his image in us and by conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And so we have to remind ourselves of that every day. And that's why I'm going to advocate today, if we're going to get to the cross, to stay at the cross, we must remind ourselves, literally, every day of the cross and what Jesus accomplished for us. It should be part of our morning quiet times. When we sit down with our Bible, which I know many of you have that routine, some of you are trying to develop that routine. Some of you hope to have that routine. I hope you'll start, but I hope the, one of the first things you do when you sit down is to reflect upon the cross. It's at the top of my prayer list because I will not naturally think of it. I'll be thinking of a million other things, but think, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for what the cross means to my life. So Jesus, the author of life, the sustainer of life, he's taken by the creatures he created to this place called Galgotha, which is the place of the skull. It was a hill of execution. It was a garbage dump outside of the city of Jerusalem. And verse 17 says that he went out bearing his own cross. So Jesus was forced to carry his cross through the narrow streets of Jerusalem, the crowded streets. People saw him walking. Many people who at one point maybe were interested in him, interested in following him. Also, this is during Passover time. So you had many people in the city who had heard about Jesus. They had heard his reputation, heard about him. Here he is being drugged through the street, beaten, bruised, and battered. And they say, this is the person we've heard about? This is the one? And I can imagine many of them just looking at Jesus and mocking him. And they say, really? This is... Really, what I came to Jerusalem to see, I wanted to see Jesus, and this is what we have. Somebody who clearly is not in control. And so despite Jesus' young age and good health, he's physically devastated from his sleepless night of being beaten and ridiculed and scourged, and he's not able to even carry his cross. He collapses under the weight of it. Now, more than likely, we see the pictures of Jesus carrying the full cross, more than likely, during the Roman times, it was just the cross beam. But nevertheless, this was 70 to 90 pounds, more than likely, of solid wood. And he's carrying, he collapsed, he can't carry it. And so we learn from the other Gospels that they grab this guy from the crowd named Simon of from Cyrene, and they force him to carry the cross. Now, it's interesting, in Luke's account of this narrative, that he notes that Simon... Carried the cross behind Jesus. And maybe that's just insignificant, random wording, but I don't think so. I think it gives us a picture of discipleship. Here Simon is carrying the cross behind Jesus. And then Mark alludes to the fact that they compel Simon, who's just a passerby, right? right? Just, hey, grab that guy. He looks strong. Let's grab him and have him carry the cross. But yet Mark identifies this random guy from the crowd, as the father of Alexander and Rufus. And and that's really interesting, because Mark wouldn't just randomly say, this guy we pulled from the crowd, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. So what's Mark getting at in his account? Well, the truth is, even though the soldiers felt like it was purely random that they grabbed this guy, apparently Mark's readers, who were Gentiles in Rome, were familiar with Simon's sons. Most scholars feel like there's definitely a tie-in that these guys were known in the church in Rome. And so Alexander and Rufus were almost certainly involved in the church in Rome. So the conclusion is supported by Paul's mention of Rufus and his mother, who would have been Simon's wife, in Romans chapter 16, verse 13. So I, I love that picture that all of God's plans, all that he's doing, all that John's been telling us from the beginning, this is going to happen. To fulfill the prophecy. Even the grabbing of this guy named Simon. Just, hey, him. Pull him in. Like, God uses that in his supernatural way to bring him to Christ, or bring his family to Christ. They saw Jesus. Then they saw the resurrection Jesus. And he believed. And also the fact that Simon followed behind Jesus, carrying his cross. What a beautiful picture. Verse 18. There they crucified him. And I've mentioned this many times, but the purpose of crucifixion from the Roman standpoint was to just degrade the person as much as possible. It was an obscene form of punishment. And crucifixion was designed to be the ultimate in slow, painful, and a humiliating death. And victims, they would either die of the physical trauma, the loss of blood, or shock, or they would succumb to the agonizing suffocation when they could no longer Harness the strength to lift themselves up to take a deep, uh, take a, a breath of air, and so they crucified Jesus. And verse eighteen says, "And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them." And this is a fulfillment of Isaiah fifty-three seventeen, that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors and counted among the rebels. So Jesus fulfilling prophecies, even as he comes to the cross and, and faces this excruciating punishment and death. Verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. What was the purpose of that? This would be the crime that Jesus was condemned for. Jesus was charged for being a rebel, an insurrectionist, and he, he for claiming to be, he's the king of the Jews, right? And so that was his crime, Pilate posted up there. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, The king of the Jews, verse 20. Many of the Jews read this inscription from the place where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus was crucified, was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So all the languages of the time that would have been the the known languages, similar to English, Chinese, you know, kind of the, the main languages of the day. Because you had all these pilgrims, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims in Jerusalem, and so they wanted to be sure that everybody understood what happened when you rebelled against Rome, when you went against Rome. Everybody who was literate could read this clearly and know what Jesus had done. And any other would-be kings, anybody else who would be an insurrectionist against the Roman Empire, this is what happens to you. Verse 21, so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm the king of the Jews, Right? We know how he feels about Jesus. Pilate answered, what I have written, I've written. Pilate wasn't going to be pushed around any longer. If you were here a few weeks ago when we talked about that, the, 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 the Jewish leadership stirred up the crowd, nearly a riot, making threats, claiming that he was no friend of Caesar's. So their agenda was clearly they wanted this to happen even though Pilate was leery of it. His conscience bothered him. He wasn't right with crucifying Jesus. He didn't think he was entitled to that sort of punishment for what he had done, yet they forced his hand to have him crucify Jesus, but he would not give in anymore. So I think this was a gesture of contempt toward them saying, look, I'm not doing anything else. This is on your hands. This blood's on your hands. And again, God's sovereign predetermined plan is shown throughout this. Verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus. They took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. And not to be overly graphic here, but, you know, in church artwork and church crucifixes, and when you see pictures of Jesus in popular culture, he always has a linen cloth around him, but that's not the way the Romans did it. That's for modesty for us, but it's not accurate historically. Jesus would have been stripped naked as a mark of shame. Any extra shame that they could provide to this person for the rebellion, they would do that. And so picture Jesus hanging there. And as we'll see in a minute, not just haters being around him, but his own family. And he's in that condition, being humiliated and killed. I can't help but to think about... The expression that you may have heard over the years, I've heard, Jesus died for you in public, so don't live for him in private, if you've ever heard that. So many Christians, that's what we want to do. We see Jesus publicly being crucified, yet we're ashamed of Jesus. And we're like, oh, it's just me and Jesus. It's my private faith. And so we go out into the community and we live our lives basically like anyone else. And people are probably surprised that we're even a believer by the way we act. And Jesus says... I was put up in front of the people exposed everything about me I took this punishment and he gives us everything we need to live for him in the way that he's called us to live so don't be private about your faith verse 23 says also his tunic which would have been probably his most expensive undergarment that that he would have worn and it says it was seamless Woven in one piece from top to bottom. Verse 24, so they said to one another, let's don't tear it. Let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall belong. And so the soldiers, they wanted to grab all they could grab. They could get the spoils of whatever was available here. And Jesus didn't have much. But this was the best thing that he was probably wearing and they didn't want to tear it. So they cast lots, a direct fulfillment as the the rest of the verse tells us. ...of Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, 18. This was to fulfill the scriptures... ...which says... ...they divided my garments among them... ...and for my clothes they cast lots. So the soldiers... ...did these things. God... ...before the foundation... ...of the world... ...knew that Jesus would be crucified. Jesus, as I've said over and over again... ...the last weeks, he was no victim... ...but nevertheless... He did this for us. And it's difficult to watch and look at and see what Jesus went through for us. Kossenberger says this. He says, It's remarkable that at the end of Jesus' life, all of his worldly possessions consisted of were the clothes on his back. He was hardly a successful, it was hardly a successful life by natural standards. He left no descendants. He had no property or wealth. Yet, despite his failure, to make much of himself by worldly standards, Jesus' life, ministry, message, death, and resurrection literally changed the course of world history and made it possible for human beings to be reconciled to God and experience eternal salvation. That's what Jesus went through for us. Next, John, as you're reading, he takes our view off of Jesus and the cross for a second, and he shifts it, to those who are watching and observing what was going on. Look at verse 25. This breaks your heart. But standing by the cross of Jesus, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So the public nature of the crucifixion, even though sometimes we forget it, it would involve family and friends as well. Do you remember maybe the first time, those who are older, watching The Passion of the Christ in the theater? If you went to see The Passion of the Christ in the theater, I'll never forget the feeling at the end, even though it was all Latin subtitles and you couldn't even really, I mean, you couldn't understand what was being said, just the power of the moment. And I remember at the end of the movie, I don't know if it was like this in your theater, like people were literally wailing and crying. And one guy stood up and said, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please, Place your faith, look on him, and place your faith on him. It was just a surreal moment. And if we slow down and read the account and see Jesus' mother here on Mother's Day, what a perfect passage for us to see what Jesus did. And he was a, a real person with a real mother standing there observing him, naked on a cross, being punished and killed for our sins. It was powerful, and it should move us. But sadly, familiarity causes us not to be moved much, does it? That we're around it all the time. We our salvation is, is free. And so it's easy just to live our life as if this is just maybe possibly just a story that happened long ago, and I go to church just to, you know, do my religious duty, but I can pretty much live my life Monday through Saturday, whatever way I want to live. If Jesus suffered and died for our sins, it changes. Everything. Verse twenty-six. When Jesus saw his mother, I love it. Jesus again thinking about others. Even as he suffered on the cross, he, he he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which would have been our author John, who refers to himself in this way throughout the book. He said to his mother, "Woman, behold your son." So Jesus is taking care of his mother. Paul to honor his mother. Verse 27, then he looked at the disciple, behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So Jesus hung there in agony, thought about his mom. Joseph apparently had died at this point, uh, and she would have had no personal way to to provide income for herself. And so Jesus was looking out for her. Jesus entrusts her to John, behold, your mother. And so John notes that from that time forward, that disciple took Mary into his home and cared for her. And I wonder if Mary understood the significance of everything is happening. I mean, we know that she doesn't understand why, that Jesus was going to die. I don't think she got that, but as this progresses and as we see over the next chapters, obviously this all came together for her just like everyone else. But I think back to Luke chapter 1 when the angel first came to Mary. And when he announced that she would be the mother of God, look at the verse, verse 32. It'll be on the screen. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. And so imagine Mary as she's standing there at the cross and she's thinking, what's happened? What's went wrong? And even when the angel came to Mary back in Luke 1, she said, how can this be? How can I give birth to the Son of God? And the angel told her, for nothing will be impossible with God. So think about it, moms, from a mom's perspective today on Mother's Day. As Mary is watching her son be brutally tortured and crucified. What was she thinking Friday night as she watched this? What was she thinking all day Saturday as she reflects back upon the angel and thought, how can this be, God? Did you fail? Did you fail? What happened? You said nothing was impossible. and Jesus would be the king in the line of David. Yet all I see is my son being crucified and killed. The worst day possible for a mother became the greatest day in history for salvation. Did it not the suffering that Mary experienced during those two days of not knowing, wow, well, it became for us a salvation that we can say, yes, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. But that doesn't change anything, right? I want, I want to get what I can out of life. And if you're younger in here, you're probably, you know, like, I'll take Jesus at small doses because I want to do what I want to do. And, and God gets in my way of my plans. That's sin, That's rebellion against God. That's saying, God, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I don't need you, God. I'll need you when I want you, but I want you on my terms, not on your terms. And a lot of people, Christians, live that way in rebellion against the one who redeemed them in the cross. Peter said it this way in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered... Once for sins, the righteous, here's a substitutionary atonement, the righteous for the unrighteous, him in our place, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. Jesus suffered and died in our place. Why? So that Jesus might bring us to God. Our sin, we know this, familiar, our sin has separated us from God. When we place our faith in Jesus, we now can be brought to God. But here's the problem in our modern churches. I want my salvation so I get the eternal life. I don't get hell. I can, you know, feel good about myself and feel like, you know, I'm not under God's condemnation, but I don't really want to get to God, honestly. Like God is a killjoy, right? God makes me live on his terms instead of my terms but peter says that jesus suffered and died that he might bring us to god that's the reason the central reason the main reason why jesus died to bring us to god because we could not get to god on our own and so if you're sitting there today say i want the heaven and the eternal life but honestly i don't want god There's a problem at the heart of your confession, truthfully. Because if God puts his spirit within you, then you should want God, right? His spirit yearns for the Father. The spirit yearns to lift up Jesus progressively, not perfectly. You're not going to figure this out in this lifetime. But progressively over time, you become more and more like Christ. And you want to be in his word. You want to read. You want to listen and hear and know more. You want to be around other believers who will help you. They'll point out those areas of your life that, that you can't see on your own or you don't want to see on your own. And they're going to say, hey, if you want to be like Christ, consider this in this area of your life. See, these are the things that, uh, that somebody who's truly put their faith in Jesus, they want because Jesus brought you to God. You've been taken To God's presence, whereas before you could not know God's presence. His wrath was against you. He was against you, but because of Christ, he's for you. And you can know him and live for your purpose, which is to glorify him. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So let's just wrap our minds around that today. Jesus died to bring us to God. If you walk out of here with only one thing today, I hope that's what it is. Jesus died to bring you to God. So when you're like, oh, I don't want to meet with God, I don't, I don't like this devotion thing, and the Bible's boring, and like, I, yeah, churches, uh, when are we getting out of here? Like, begin to question why do you not have at least some level of desire to be in God's presence? Because that's why Jesus died, and that's why you've put your faith in him, right? So you could have a relationship and fulfill your original design, which he created from the beginning when he made mankind in the image of God to have communion with him, to bring glory to him and exalt him. Through Jesus, because now God looks at us and he sees us as sinless. Positionally, we're sinless before God. Now we can have a relationship. It's wide open with him. So our heart is, I want to encourage you to do this. You find yourself, like I do many days as well, just familiarity, loss of awe. It's amazing what gratitude will do for us. Just thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And you say, I don't don't feel it. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. So get to the cross every day and remind yourself of your need for God. Remind yourself of why Jesus went to that cross. Remind yourself of the punishment and the shame and the rejection that he suffered so you can get to God. And then let's stay with God. Let's meet with God. Let's enjoy him forever.